Good morning. Um, this day gets just interestinger and interestinger. I was not going to tell you something, but now I am going to tell you something because the technology that failed me last night is failing me again today. Um, worked on my sermon, and it disappeared. 3,500 words, gone. Found a way to do it with the iPad, connecting to the slides. Now the connection is lost. Hold on tight. <laughs> Wait! Wait! A few folks at home are having a good time right now. Hold on, hold on. It's back. I'm kind of wishing it wasn't, but let's, yeah. I wanted to try this anyway, so let's give it a whirl, shall we? Come on. Well, the title screen is up, right? Give me the title screen. There we go. All right, we're good. So, I've been wanting to try it, so now we're going to try it. Okay. Uh, This is the third week in our series on the ECC transformation, the touchstone of transformation, via the Sermon on the Mount. The first two weeks, we laid the foundation. We're going to dive into the sermon uh, proper this morning. And the foundation that we, that we laid was, had two layers. The first layer was this, that the Sermon on the Mount, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was serious. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was serious. It was not some ideal off there to show us we can never make it, therefore we need Jesus. It was not some perfect vision of what life will be one day. Jesus meant for us to seek to obey it now, even if we do it imperfectly. The second layer of, of the foundation that we built was the reality that the kingdom of God is here. It is now. It's available to us. That is where we find the power to live out the Sermon on the Mount. I was doing some sermon research, and uh, Google popped up with a question that it does sometimes. What is the main point of the Sermon on the Mount? I didn't ask that question. I don't make a habit of asking Google the main point of the passages that I'm... But in the, it, it gave a few alternate suggestions that I could search, and it said, what is the main point of the Sermon on the Mount? And I thought, wow. I don't have to do hours of study. I don't have to pray. I just have to Google it. All those years in seminary just wasted. But how could I not click on that? How could I not click on that? I mean, there it was. So I clicked. Wikipedia says, the Sermon on the Mount teaches that God's children are those who act like God. That's actually not bad. But that's hard. Why does everything have to be so hard? Have you ever thought that to yourself or maybe said it through clenched teeth as I have? Why does everything have to be so hard? Maybe it's about raising children or teenagers especially. Maybe it's challenges in your marriage. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's the entire year of 2020. Why does everything have to be so hard? Jesus seems to indicate that the Sermon on the Mount is a little harder than we might think, too. A little further down in uh, chapter 5, verses 17 and 20, he says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then verse 20, he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Why does everything have to be so hard. My righteousness has to surpass that of the religious elite before I can enter into the kingdom of heaven? Why does it have to be 
so hard. To be clear, just to set the stage a bit, part of what Jesus is saying there is the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes, their righteousness was to keep the law, was to keep the Jewish law, the Torah. But you can keep the Jewish law and not commit adultery, but still have lust in your heart. God is after something more than what we do or don't do externally. He's after who we are becoming. And so our righteousness has to surpass that of the Pharisees and the scribes. And we don't do it alone. We're not, we're not off on our own trying to do this. We have a superpower. We have a secret weapon. And that's the good news that we have been celebrating throughout this whole series, this whole 12-week series is this. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus empower us to live life purposefully and abundantly in God's kingdom here, now, and forever. There is power once we enter into the kingdom to live according to the Sermon on the Mount, to live a kingdom life and to live it well. Not perfectly, but well. This is sort of similar to what Jesus says uh, uh, later in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Then he says this, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, that doesn't sound so hard. There's something about us doing this with and in Jesus that makes it easier. The, the message translation says, keep com- Jesus says, keep company with me and you will learn to live lightly and freely. That sounds nice. The Sermon on the Mount is a way to live lightly and freely. And within this reality that we have this power within the kingdom to empower us to, able to, to be able to live according to the challenge and teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, we celebrate a secondary good news this morning. Before Jesus beckons us to follow, he blesses us to be. Before Jesus beckons us to follow, he blesses us to be. Be what? Stay tuned. We'll get to it. Earlier in the story, Matthew chapter 4, to set the scene for the the opening of the Sermon on the Mount. 417, we read that from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He is announcing the truth that we have been celebrating the last couple of weeks, and that is that the kingdom is here, the kingdom is now. And as he preaches the kingdom, uh, good things happen. He called, right after that, he calls his first disciples, Simon Peter and Andrew, two brothers, James and John, two brothers, all fishermen. These are the only ones that are mentioned here. He calls these four. And then he sets out in the last part of chapter 4, going throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spreads all over the place, and the people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, those and the paralyzed, and he healed them. And big surprise, large crowds followed him. Large crowds followed him. Good things are happening. It's very exciting. Large crowds along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And I want you to try to picture that you're there in that moment. Picture that you're there. Picture the scene. Hundreds, thousands of people. I don't know how many it was. Try to hear the shuffling of feet, the chattering, the conversation. Try to get a sense of the the heat, the humidity. You're there. 
people are excited, good things are happening. And then you notice that Jesus, it's almost like he sees this happening and he realizes there's something more to be done here. This is great, but I don't want you to think this is what it's all about or it's only about this. There's something deeper, something more robust that Jesus wants to accomplish. And so you see him from back wherever you are in the crowd. You see him turn and begin to walk up a hillside. And so you start to follow. Everybody's following. And he comes to a certain place. And he stops. And he turns. And he sits down. Verses 1 and 2. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Jesus begins to speak. The crowd begins to stop their conversations. Chattering dies down. Children are shushed. And you listen to hear what he's saying. And when he begins to speak, he begins to offer blessings. Several blessings in a row through verses 3 through 12. Blessings. And that word bless is not like we use blessed. Hashtag bless my life is better than your social media blessed. Not that. This is much, it's fine to call those things blessings, but this is deeper. This is richer. This is broader. This is a biblical form of blessing, and it means something a little more that we need to stop and consider. The Gospel of Matthew, as we have it, was written in Greek, but Matthew, we almost everybody is certain, was Jewish. He knows so much about the Old Testament scriptures. He knows so much about Judaism and the law and everything, and uh, we're just, everybody's pretty much utterly convinced that Matthew is actually Jewish. So behind the Greek words that he used to translate what Jesus said, behind those Greek words there are other words, Hebrew words that Matthew would have known quite well and Aramaic that Matthew would have spoken. And in those, in those two languages there is a word that is similar, it's not exact. Uh, I noticed this when we lived in the Netherlands, some Dutch words sound very close to some English words sometimes. And so the same is true with Hebrew and Aramaic. There is a word that means blessed or blessing. So in the Hebrew, the, bless, the word for blessing is barak or baruch. In Aramaic, it's brik. It has to do with the consonants. There's slightly different ways to say it. And this is a different kind of blessing. The, blessing, uh, the word blessing also doubles as another word, kneel. To kneel, which is odd. In some places in the Old Testament, that word can mean blessed or to be blessed. In other places, it can mean to kneel or to cause to kneel. So in Genesis 24, 11, Abraham's servant causes his camels to kneel. Same word as this, but we know camels don't bless, they spit. So camels must kneel. But in another place, 2 Chronicles 6.13, Solomon kneels right before he blesses the people of Israel. There's a connection there. To kneel and to bless are connected, depending on the context. So Jesus wants to pronounce the blessing of the kingdom of God upon the people gathered there. But as you and I think about the kingdom of God, we think it's great to enter into the kingdom of God. We think God welcomes us into the kingdom of God. And that's true. But there was a dominant narrative that was different in that day. I'm not saying God thought this way. I'm saying that the way people thought about God and God's kingdom was this way. And James Bryan Smith, in his book, The Good and Beautiful Life, that some of us are, me- are reading together, he gives us five requirements for entering the kingdom of God. And you can hear, as I list each one, you can hear the people falling off. I'm not getting in. I'm not getting in. First rule. Only the people of Israel would enter God's kingdom. That means non-Jews, Gentiles, could not come in. 
They were not welcome in the kingdom of God. And to their mind, the kingdom of God was not like we think of it. It was a literal, physical, political kingdom with a king on a throne over a people and a land. It was in the future. They're waiting for that to happen. And all that's going to matter as we look at these opening blessings. The second, the second rule uh, to keep people out, only males were allowed. Only males. Females, women were not allowed. Women, best case scenario, second class citizens. Worst case, property. And it gets even further. Only Jewish males who were faithful keepers of the Jewish law, the Torah. It's not enough just to be a Jewish male, you also have to be faithful in keeping the Torah, keeping the law. Only those who were physically whole and healthy. Only those who are physically whole and healthy. If you are diseased, if you are sick, if you are uh, handicapped in some way, the belief, the belief... This is not God's belief. This is the belief, the dominant belief, was that you were not blessed, you were cursed, because you were, uh, you were not, uh, God was not showing favor to you. You had displeased God, so therefore you will not enter into the kingdom. Fifth, it's said insult to injury, only those who were well off financially. Again, same reason. Wealth was seen as a blessing. How do you get blessing? You get blessing because you've been good. You've, you've obeyed God, and God blesses you with that. If you don't have wealth, if you're poor, you've not been blessed because you've not, done, you've not lived rightly, so you will not go into the kingdom of God. And yet God is in Christ is about to offer blessing to all these sorts of people who are gathered on the hillside, to listen to the teaching. Because before Jesus beckons us to follow, he blesses us to be. To be what? To be included. To be at rest. To be at peace. To be. He simply pronounces blessings. These, these beatitudes, these blessings, are not bullet points of how to get blessed. They are announcements on people, by and large, who thought they weren't blessed. The word... Uh, beatitude, by the way, comes from a Latin translation which means blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. That's all it is. And so Jesus is going to bless the people gathered. He's not telling them how to get blessed. So uh, many of us have heard teachings in the past that, oh, you have to try to live by the beatitudes. No, no, they're good. It's okay, but you don't do it to get blessed. You're already blessed. And each of these has an element to that. We're not going to be able to go through all of them because of time this morning, quite frankly. Some of them are sort of self-explanatory, but there's a few things that I I want to lift up to you that I think will help us better to translate. So, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A couple of things here. In Luke's version of this statement, his version of the Sermon on the Mount, which we refer to as the Sermon on the Plain, because it's not up on a hill, uh, the, word in, the words in spirit are not there. It just says, blessed are the poor. And we may think, oh, that's, that's so different. It's not as, as different as we might think. Because again, if you're poor, you're not blessed because you've been disfavorable to God or you've not done, lived the way God wanted you to. So you're also poor in spirit, which means you have nothing to count on. You know you don't belong. Dallas Willard would call, Dallas Willard would call these people spiritual zeros. They know they don't belong. They have nothing to offer. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So you can hear the shift that's happening. People who think they aren't invited, aren't blessed, aren't included, are being included. Uh, Skipping down to verses 5 and 6, these two go together. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
Who are the meek? The meek are not the powerful ones. The meek couldn't take revenge if they wanted to. They have no power. So what do they do? They have to trust in God instead. They have to put their hope in God. Psalm 37 says uh, that uh, those who put their hope in God, those who trust in God, will inherit the land. That's important. That word earth could be translated as land. In fact, they wouldn't have had a concept of the earth as a ball of dirt spinning around the sun back then. The land. Why? Because the land was a part of the covenant that God had made with them to give them a promised land, only they don't really have it yet, do they? I mean, they're back, they're not in exile, they're in the land, but it's occupied by the Romans. It's occupied, which takes us to our next category. There were people who wanted to fight the Romans, physically, violence. They thought it was okay, zealots they were called. Uh, Simon the Zealot, one of Jesus' first followers, probably came from this group of people. They think that's the way to take back the land, but Jesus says, no, 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 it's not those who trust in their own might, those who think they have the power. It's those who are meek, who trust in the Lord instead and wait. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That word righteousness could be translated justice. They're the same word. And that word in Greek and I, it, it, it is, uh, is, is more robust than our word. It can mean both of those things. Righteousness, right relationship with God. Justice, right relationships with other. The people, the people who wanted to fight wanted justice. They hungered and thirsted for justice, for God to make things right. They will be filled, he says. But they need to be meek. They need to stand by and let God do what God is going to do. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You know, if you're, if you're merciful, if, if your gift is to be merciful towards people, you can get run over. You can get taken advantage of, right? You can get beaten down. It's good to be merciful, but it can lead to problems. The other idea is that in this, in this society, mercy was a weakness. You don't show mercy. You show power. You show strength. You, you conquer. You don't show mercy. It was a Cobra Kai philosophy of life. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy. But Jesus wants to bless mercy. You, you show mercy. You have shown mercy, even in the face of incredible odds with the Romans and whomever, and you will be shown mercy too in the kingdom of God. Then verse 10, skipping down again. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Everybody on that hillside thought, and were right, that they were being persecuted for righteousness' sake, for their faithfulness to God. Every day they lived with the threat of violence. Every day they lived with the threat of worse, possibly. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we think we're persecuted because people say happy holidays to us. These people dealt with it 24-7, and it was real. But the good news is this. Theirs is the kingdom. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is now. The kingdom is ours. The kingdom is ours. It's right there. It may not look exactly like they thought it was going to look. We have a better idea perhaps now after a couple thousand years. But the kingdom is here. The kingdom is now. And the kingdom is ours. That's our secret weapon. That's our superpower. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 8, this is what happens. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. 
A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. He said, I am willing. Be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. I want you to notice something. Let me back up here. I better not do that. I'm going to mess things up if I do that. He knelt. He knelt down before Jesus. There's that connection again. He knelt and he was blessed. He knelt in front of God incarnate, entering, in a sense, the kingdom influence, the kingdom sphere, and he was blessed. He was cleansed. This is cool to me, that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes down and does this first thing. Because all the people who thought they were unblessed and unwelcome and not included are included. This guy, this guy in chapter 8 is unwelcome, uninvited, unincluded, unblessed. He is one of the very ones that would have been kept out. Ties in so beautifully with the children's moment from Kristen and Joshua, the parable of the great banquet. All the people who were supposed to be invited said no. And they didn't enter in. So what did he do? Went out and got the lame, the crippled, the blind. All those who they thought were excluded were invited. And that's what happens to this guy. We enter the kingdom and we have power to live the way we're supposed to live. We are blessed to enter into this kingdom. We don't have to become these kinds of people on our own. This is where it starts. We are blessed. We have a superpower. We have, we have something more than we think we have. In uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, we read this. His, God's Christ's divine power, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You may participate in God's divine nature. You enter into the kingdom and you have a secret weapon. You are blessed because you've entered the kingdom. You are blessed before Jesus beckons you to follow him. He blesses you to be. Be there. Be in this place. Have these abilities. We talk about uh, kneeling and blessing as, as being similar, as having a, a similar word association, as have, having something to do with each other in the, in the words themselves. And we talk about in the, in the blessing so far that we are just blessed to be there, and we are. But the blessing goes beyond that. The blessing isn't meant to stop there. The blessing is meant to go beyond us. And so, for example, I think of a song by U2, The City of Blinding Lights, that has this one line at the very end that is gratuitous, makes no sense, not sure how it fits anything. It's simply this, hope I get it right. It's short, but it's, I try to make it fit with the music so it's a little clumsy, but blessings not just for the ones who kneel. Blessings are not just for those who kneel. They're for everybody. If we have received blessing because we have knelt and entered into the kingdom of God, we get to pass that blessing on to others. Others who do not yet know Christ are blessed in and through us. And this is where Jesus goes shortly after the Beatitudes. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And we have heard teaching, I'm sure, on what salt is and why this, usually we think of it as a preservative and that sort of thing, and there's something to that, I'm sure there is. But years ago, I discovered a connection that I thought was absolutely beautiful. There's a, 
There's an ancient commentary on the Old Testament scriptures written by uh, rabbis, and it's called the Babylonian Talmud, and in that they make this comparison. As the world cannot exist without salt, so it cannot endure without the Torah. As the world cannot exist without salt, so it cannot endure without the Torah, God's law. So maybe what Jesus is saying is, you are the salt of the earth. You are the Torah that holds it all together. You go out and live according to God's instructions, and your blessing will be passed on to others. Because the blessings aren't just for the ones who kneel. Then he says this, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Your good deeds. Not your spoken word here. I'm not saying there's not a place to speak. There is. But your good deeds. You live according to the Sermon on the Mount. You follow Jesus. You do these things. And your good deeds will be light to those who have not yet entered the kingdom. Your life will be a blessing to those who even have not yet come to kneel in God's presence. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So where are you in this crowd on the hillside? Are you up close with the original disciples? Have you made that commitment? Are you there? Or maybe you're back a few rows or maybe way back in the back of the crowd. Maybe you don't think you belong. You, what you've done, how you've lived, the failures you've made, the mistakes you've made, the sins you've committed, you're not welcome here. Maybe that's what you think. But Jesus says, oh no, my blessing is for you. Before I'm going to call you to follow a challenging teaching, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to invite you. You are welcomed in. You can receive this blessing, and you can find the power to go and live. So I want to do a couple things as we close. One, uh, as we have been doing the last couple of weeks, we do have a Kingdom Conversations online we, uh, on Zoom. We are doing that today. It will be tighter this week because we do have the uh, congregational meeting coming up at 1, but from 12 to 12.30 today, and you can find the link on our website, ecclife.net, at the top in a black banner. It'll tell you exactly how to get there. We'd love to have conversation with you uh, about the passage, about the message, or even about the book, The Good and Beautiful Life. Two, if you are one of those people who has never yet made that commitment to enter into the kingdom, never yet knelt before Jesus, I want you to do that. I want you to do that. If that's you, you're going to pray a prayer with me in just a minute, or you just want to find out more about what it means to know and follow Jesus, email us at prayer at ecclife.net that goes to the pastors. We will reach out to you. We will help you find the resources you need, either to learn more about it or simply to tell us that you've prayed this prayer, and uh, we want to help lead you along in those, those directions. Would you pray with me as we close? Good and gracious God, Savior God, you have met with us in Christ Jesus. You have met with us in the scriptures. You have met with us and with one another, in each other, and we are thankful. And this morning, we have heard your word of blessing on those who think they are not blessed. God, I pray that you would speak to each person here, wherever they may be on their journey with you. Draw them into your kingdom if they are not yet there. Draw them deeper into your kingdom and deeper into your divine nature if they've already made an initial step of faith. And now I speak to you who are joining us, either in person or online. If you have not yet taken the steps to enter into the kingdom of God, if you've not yet confessed your rebellion against God, your sin, if you've not yet asked for forgiveness and made, aware of your, made God aware of your intent, your desire to live a holy 
life, a light and free life. I invite you to pray with me. Just repeat intentionally as I pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for the blessings of your present kingdom. I acknowledge that in my ignorance, rebellion, and sin, I stand outside of your kingdom life. Thank you for your death and resurrection, which promised me forgiveness and mercy. Cleanse me this day, Lord Christ. Forgive me, heal me, and empower me to take your yoke upon my shoulders and enter into your abundant and purposeful life. Hear now and forever. In your name we pray. Amen.